Well, we've heard uh, the Lord speak to us by his spirit and through his word in four different passages from Holy Scripture today. We turn now to our catechism reading, and we uh, arrive today at Lord's Day 33. And the questions that make up this particular Lord's Day are question and answers 88 through 91. Let's read these responsibly together. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith conform to God's law and are done for His glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His help. Our Heavenly Father, we ask You to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our Mediator and Savior. As all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and edification of this congregation, and the salvation of those who are lost without the witness of the gospel. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and in dependence upon his Holy Spirit. Amen. When a plan has gone wrong, sometimes the best thing to do to find a solution is to make one or two high-impact changes rather than getting rid of everything and starting over from scratch. Sometimes that's the best way. You know, your kids are in an awful mood, and maybe it means they just need a nap rather than to be punished. Uh, Your car won't start. Maybe it means uh, the spark plugs are loose. They need to be tightened rather than junking the entire thing. Uh, The the sales team's numbers are down. Maybe just one person needs to be reassigned rather than everybody being fired. You see, sometimes it just takes strategic, high-impact changes here or there for a problem to find a solution or for a plan that's gone off the rails to be put back on the rails. But what about when it comes to conversion? Scripture actually gives us a very different picture when it comes to conversion. That's a word that's used in many different ways. We can use it kind of flippantly. It's taken on different connotations over the years. And many people assume that if you have started to go to church and Uh, you you read your Bible or you hang out with Christians, that then you have now become a convert to Christianity, that you have made the conversion. But authentic conversion is not about making a couple of high-impact changes. A conversion actually requires a spiritual restart, a a do-over, we might call You must be made new. You must actually, in a spiritual sense, die and be raised. 
It is a wholesale kind of restart that is required when we speak about authentic conversion. Uh, Our catechism helps us out in, in some very wonderful ways in these particular questions and answers. And the first thing that we need to do is to focus particularly on the work of Christ. The work of Christ. Catechism shows us that conversion or repentance has two main parts to it. Two parts. The dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. That's what it takes to be truly an authentic convert to the Christian faith. Uh, Many uh, religions or self-help techniques speak in similar ways to this. It's true. It is true. That you must, uh, for instance, forget about everything that's gone before you as though those things are dead to you. And now live a a new you that is enlightened or now newly empowered. Spoken of kind of in terms of a dying and and a resurrection. But the uniqueness of the Christian faith is that it insists that none of this is possible apart from Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand who he is, and in particular, the work he has done. You cannot have this true conversion, a dying uh, to the old self and a rising to life of the new self, without Jesus Christ. So we must understand what he has done in order to bring about this conversion. And there are many aspects of the life and ministry of Jesus that apply to us. But today, especially, we're thinking about his death and resurrection. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, he says, The death he died, meaning Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, Paul has in mind here these historical events of Jesus Christ dying and rising to life. But Paul explains for us what these things actually mean. What does his death mean? What does his resurrection mean? Why are these things significant for us? Well, this phrase, he died to sin, it means that he died on account of sin. He died on account of sin. Sin had come into the world and it had wrecked the world. It has wrecked his people. And it was for this reason that Christ came and died. Not because he was a sinner. He has died on account of our sin. So the death he died, he died to sin. On account of our sin. That's why he has died. That's, the, that's the, the, uh, one of the uh, core meanings behind his death. He's done it in our place as a substitute. Taking the wrath and judgment of God. Similarly, Paul says that the life Jesus now lives, which is resurrection life, is lived to God or on account of God. In other words, it is God who raised up his son and gave him all authority and gave him immortality and gave him resurrection glory. He, the death that he died, he died to sin. The life he lives, he now lives to God. This is what Jesus has done. This is the work which Jesus Christ has come to accomplish. In uh, especially the Gospel of John, Jesus is constantly talking about a mission that he's been sent on. Work that has been assigned to him to do. 
It is an assignment, a job, a vocation, which the Father has given to him. And Jesus has come in his almighty grace and mercy as the eternal Son of God, taking on human flesh to do this work. To die in the place of sinners and to rise to life. That's the work of Christ. Now, we hold this in our minds. We know, anybody who's ever heard of the Christian faith probably has heard that Jesus has died and and, uh, risen from death. That's the work of Christ. We hold on to this now and we move on to our second point that helps us understand what that has to do with us. Our second point, therefore, is focusing on union with Christ. Union with Christ. We've spoken about Christ's death and resurrection. Now we must speak about your own death and resurrection. Now then, here's the point. The work that Jesus has accomplished is relevant to you if you are in union with him. That Jesus has died is relevant to you if you are united to the one who has died for you. And that Jesus has risen from the dead is relevant to you, though it happened 2,000 years ago and many thousands of miles away. It's relevant to you if you are united to him who has been raised. We've been dealing so far mainly with Romans chapter 6. Listen closely to what Paul says in verse 5. He says, For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's there's this phrase, united with him. You've been united with him in his death. You, You will be united with him in his resurrection. This is the precious doctrine of union with Christ. What has happened to the Savior now happens to the saved. What happens to the head of the church happens to his beloved body. And so as surely as Christ has died on the cross, so now you have died to sin. You are dead to sin. And as surely as Jesus rose from the grave, so you have been raised to new life. This isn't putting in place a couple of high-impact changes, you see. It is that you've been remade. You've now been placed in a vital and precious spirit brought about union with the one who has died and been raised on your behalf. Paul famously says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, there's that union, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. If anyone is in in Christ, this vital union with him brought about by the Holy Spirit, then you are by necessity dead and raised a new creation and therefore are now able to respond to the demands of the law to obey him in a manner that is pleasing to him. Not with perfection, as we remind ourselves every other week. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No, no way. But you now are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit in union with your Savior to live a new life. In other words, Jesus provides all that you need truly to be converted to God. To turn away from sin 
and to turn to God in authentic conversion. Jesus has provided what you need for that. He crucifies your old self. And he raises to new life the new self. He does not lay his commands before you and say, all right, give it a go. Let's see how this works out. That is not how the Lord interacts with his people. That's legalism to come to God's law with that kind of understanding. And we may never, we cannot ever measure up. Rather, through the death and resurrection of the Son of God, you are now dead to sin and alive to God. Think of it this way. Paul uses the language here of death and and enslavement and being set free and so forth. So think of it this way. Think of a slave master who owns a slave. And the slave master comes to find that his slave has died. Well, now that slave is of no use to the slave master. He has died to his master. It is of no use. The slave is now of no use to his master. It is but a corpse. That's all that it is. That's all that this slave now is. Now that is one very, uh, just a sliver of of, uh, uh, an image to help us understand our status to sin. Because apart from Jesus Christ, we are the slaves and sin is the slave master. And when we have union with Christ, we die to sin so that we become nothing more than corpses spiritually speaking, to sin. It no longer reigns over you. It cannot demand anything of you anymore. We capitulate to sin. We we still do sin. But it no longer reigns over you as a slave master. Paul says, he who has died to sin has been freed from it. And so you have died with regard to sin. It does not enslave you anymore. Dear brothers and sisters, if you have died to sin, then it is not your slave master. You've not only been delivered from the consequences of sin, you've been delivered from its tyranny. You've not only been delivered from the guilt of sin, you've been delivered from its power. So you must hear this great message of freedom from the gospel, which is that through Jesus Christ, you're made new And you are free to obey the commandments of the Lord. You are free to strive with a clear conscience against sin and the devil in this life. You are free to do that. Sometimes we so often think actually in a quite negative, passive way when it comes to obedience. As though we've been set free from sin. And now the the life of obedience is going to be just a terrible slog. But rather the image is that we've been raised to new life. Through Jesus Christ. And he grants us now what we need to walk in that newness of life. You are dead to sin and alive to God. You are now a new person. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. A new creation in Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine of union with Christ. And it is why our tradition takes it so seriously. Is because you can never get to the end of the good news of this doctrine of union with Christ. To be united to the Savior means that you get what belongs to Him. And you get what He has done on your behalf. 
So he has not only called you righteous, but he's now making you righteous from within because he's raised you to new life. Lastly, this morning, we look at the fruit of this new life, which is good works. Good works. The Catechism explains what these two parts of conversion look like. There's two main parts. The dying away of the old self is the first part. And uh, you'll notice the way that the Catechism is summarizing Scripture for us, it says that the dying away of the old self is sorrow for sin, a deepening hatred for sin, and the will to run away from sin. Sorrow for sin. And that's why we sometimes sing a song of lament. It is to learn how to have godly grief that we still sin. And bring displeasure to Almighty God. And grieve His Holy Spirit. And sin against our neighbors. Sorrow for sin is part and parcel to the dying away of the old self. Uh, that we more and more hate it and run away from it. The, the catechism goes on to say. That's the dying away. The rising to life of the new self is described beautifully with these particular highlights. Joy, love, and delight. Joy, love, and delight. This is the Reformed tradition for you, dear brothers and sisters. It is placing before you a life filled with joy and love and delight. And that's not just ancillary. It's not like that's just added on if you can get to it. But that it is the positive side of conversion to God. It is to hate your sin and to be sad over it, to run away from it, but also... To have wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And a love and a delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. What is that love, delight, that joy? What does it look like? It looks like a life that begins to be filled with good works. Well, what are good works? How do you know that you're actually doing works that please your heavenly father? There are four characteristics of good works that the Catechism summarizes from Scripture. Three of those characteristics are positive, and one of them is negative. First, a good work is any work that is done out of true faith. A good work is any work that is done out of true faith. Uh, the Catechism makes quite a lot out of true faith. True faith is that thing that justifies you. Question 60 and 61 tell us how we are righteous before God is through true faith in Jesus Christ. It is that same Christian virtue of true faith from which good works now proceed. So you see the, the cornerstone, the cornerstone here, is that true faith leads to our justification and then we produce good works. You are not righteous before God because you've done good works. You are made righteous through Christ by the grace of God. And now you begin to do good works. That's the response. It's a heart of gratitude in response to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. If you have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, then you are also called to walk in that new life and of a life of good works. Uh, Hebrews 
11, verse 6, says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's a stark statement. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Good works come, they proceed from true faith. A second characteristic. A good work is done according to God's law. Meaning, we we are not the ones who make it up. We don't do it according to some other standard other than God's law itself. A third characteristic, a good work is done with the aim of bringing glory to God. That is the chief end of our lives and the chief end of all of our good works is to bring God glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 famously says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God. There is in that negative characteristic of good works. And that it is not based on our own opinions or traditions. Now, maybe we have certain opinions and traditions and our good works line up with them. But they are not good works on the basis of our opinions and traditions. Rather, the foundation of any good work is that it is commanded by God himself. Loved ones in Christ, understanding these things is important because the stakes are quite high. Stakes are quite high. Scripture testifies that unrepentant people, people who remain unconverted to God, will certainly not inherit the kingdom of Christ, but will perish in their sins. Our Lord Jesus, instead of his people facing that terrible fate, our Lord Jesus has instead offered himself to that terrible judgment in your place for your sins. And he has been raised for you. And now, since he has died to sin, you, by union with him, are also dead to sin. And because he has been raised to new life to God, now you, by union with him, are raised to this new life. So fill that life with good works. Fill your life with works that proceed from faith, that are done according to the law of God, that are not done out of human opinion or or tradition on, on the basis of those things, but with a deep love for Christ and for the glory of God. And we'll end this morning with that chilling and motivating question from Paul, who says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We cannot, brothers and sisters. If we have died to sin, we will daily put it to death and walk in the newness of life. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks for having established your covenant with believers and their children. For as you have told us, the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise you have not only signified and sealed by holy baptism, but daily prove by perfecting your praise through the mouths of children and so putting to shame the wise and understanding of this world. Continue to establish your saints in this faith throughout their lives. So give us the grace to inwardly digest the food you have given to us and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear until they have reached complete maturity. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen.